Ephesians chapter 4, and um, we are, Lord willing, going to read 1 through 3, but we're especially going to be looking at 1, and um, actually preached on this several years ago, on this text, but I studied it fresh, and glanced through one part of that sermon, but really, um, this section in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, about the church has been real to me lately, and so I just kind of cleared the slate and took a fresh look at it, and was really encouraged and exhorted in my own heart by it, and so I want to share with you some things that the Lord, I believe the Lord, shown me. So let's, let's read this, starting in verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Tonight, um, like I said, we read 1 through 3, but really what I want to do is I want to focus on verse 1 and the temptation and what was so hard in putting this together is I really, I feel more comfortable in verse 2. Not because I know a ton about it, but because it's, it's the stuff that, um, that I've thought through more and thought through and read through about what the Bible has said more. And it seems more practical would probably be the reason why I would rather get into it. With all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another and love. That's practical. That's really practical. And verse 1 is talking about this call. And that may not seem so practical, but... After reading through Ephesians and then seeing where verse 1 lands, it is so important to be gripped by verse 1 before you get into verse 2. And so that's what I want to do tonight, is look at this call that we are to walk worthy of. And there's a sense in Paul of urgency about this. Look at this word, I implore you. I implore you. He'll later in uh, chapter 4 use a verse in the same context that literally means that there's a sense of crisis to it. That's how urgent this is. That's how important this is. That this is not one of the secondary issues that you can differ in opinions on in the Christian life. This is not one of those side issues that's not all that important. He's imploring us to walk worthy of the call. What is this call? What is this call that we are to walk worthy of? Well, in the context of 1 through 3, what makes the most sense about what this call is, is it's a call to live out our oneness in Christ. Our oneness in Christ. Really, verse 1 is a call that gets down to our relationships in the church and things related to unity. Unity. And it can be summarized like this, and we'll see this when we look back here in a moment in chapter 2. If God has torn down every barrier between Christians, heaven forbid we let another one go up. Amen. That's the call of verse 1. 
Now I want to show you where I'm getting this from, because that's exactly the point that Paul has been making in chapters 1 through 3, and that's what he's kind of predicating this whole thing on. He's, he's got this therefore there. He says, therefore, I implore you. What is he doing? He's saying, based off of everything that I've said in 1 through 3, now I'm going to implore you to walk worthy of what we've been talking about, which is our oneness in Christ. So let's look at this. Turn back with me, if you don't mind, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And what Paul is going to talk about here in the immediate context of Ephesians chapter 2 is the divide between the Jew and the Gentile. And it's, it is very, very hard to appreciate how deep this divide was between the Jew and the Gentile. Um, there was one ancient writer that noted that in the sign and the temple for the Jewish temple, there was a warning for Gentiles to proceed no further on pain of death. That's a divide. That's a breach. That's a barrier. And as dense as this passage is, um, starting in verse 11, um, it's a very dense, it's very dense theologically. The, the grammar can get awkward. But what I want you to listen for is these ideas and these words related to oneness and reconciliation and this idea of peace. So let's read this, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now listen. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace." and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. What is he saying here? He's saying that Christ came and he broke down the barrier that the law created and he took these people that weren't Christians, these Jews and these Gentiles, he took these two totally diverse separate groups and he brought them into Christ. That's how you get saved. God just doesn't like zap you out here with salvation like a package that you would get from Amazon. What God does when he saves you is he brings you into Christ. And when you are in Christ, you have all of the benefits that pertain to the person of Christ. So God takes these two very, uh, these two very diverse groups and he bonds them together in himself. And now they're both in Christ and they have access in one spirit together. 
Like I said, there's a lot going on here in this passage, but here's the big principle. When you are made one with Christ, you are also made one with each other. That's the principle. Do you hear all the one language? He himself, 14, he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. He broke down the barrier. The next verse. So that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. When you become one with Christ, you also become one with each other. And as you're one in Christ, you also have this common access to the Spirit. And like I said, the immediate context here is for Jew and Gentile, but this is so much bigger than that. This, what happens here and what Paul is explaining is what happens when anybody becomes a Christian. Whether you're Jewish or Gentile or slave or free, the overwhelming um, emphasis, especially in Paul, is this idea that when you, come in, when you become one with Christ, you also become one with each other. Listen to a few verses. I'll just read you some of these. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. And you've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. You hear the emphasis? You became one with Christ and you have all these diverse backgrounds, you have diverse personalities. You have some people that are rich. You have some people that are poor. Some people from this country. Some people from that country. Some people from that side of the tracks. Some people from this side of the tracks. But when you came into Christ, you actually became one with all of those people who are also in Christ. Listen to this again in Galatians chapter 3. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Same point. He's broken down every barrier. And when Christ saved you, he brought you into himself. And when you become one with Christ, you also become one with every other Christian that's in Christ. One more. 1 Corinthians 12 Starting in verse 12, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all of the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So what is this saying? When Christ came, when Christ came and brought salvation, he not only broke down the main barrier, which is the barrier between man and God that was in place because of sin, but when you come into Christ, he also brought, broke down every barrier between believer and believer so that with one voice we could glorify God. He, when you're brought, what happens? You're bonded into Christ. And when that happens, you have peace with every other Christian. And you have a common experience of the one spirit. And this is exactly what Paul says in our context in Ephesians chapter 4. 
my present understanding is he is talking about this. He says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That peace right there is talking about the gospel. The bond of peace. Christ came and that's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, you know, there was division between these two groups. There were these barriers. There was hostility. But when Christ came, he brought peace. He's the prince of peace. And then he goes on in verse 18, For through him we both have our access in one spirit. Isn't that amazing? Every Christian that you meet, no matter if they're a missionary, if they're a housewife, if they're black, if they're white, if they're from here, if they're from there, they all have a common experience of the same spirit. And so what is Paul saying in and? Ephesians 4, chapter 1, when he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He is saying, I implore you to live out the oneness of the gospel that you've been called to. The oneness of the gospel. The, what God has done when he took all of these people and he's making them into one new man in Christ. So really... This comes down a lot down to relationships. And like I said, I think the general exhortation is that if Christ has torn down every barrier, then heaven forbid we let another one go up. It's very important. What are barriers? Here's a dictionary definition that I thought was really helpful. It says this, A barrier is a circumstance or obstacle that keeps people or things apart or prevents communication or progress. It's a barrier. And so when we talk about um, this in the context of believers and in the context of relationships, there's a roadblock in the relationship. And so what we do is we, can use, we use language like, I really feel like that there's something between us. A, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a barrier. Something has happened Someone has either done something, and even sometimes someone has not done something, and now there's something in the relationship. It's like the relationship is just not quite as warm as it once was. And when you think about the person, that level of warmth is just not there anymore. It's kind of hard to describe, but I think everybody knows what I'm talking about when we talk about there's a barrier in the relationship. Sometimes we use language like, I just don't feel like my heart's right towards so-and-so. That's what we're talking about. There's a barrier. We were brought into Christ, and what God is doing through the church is He is making one new man. And in Ephesians chapter 3, it tells us what God is doing, why He's done that. In verse 10, He says, So that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authority in the heavenly places. God is using the church like His trophy case. To say, look what God can do, that he can take all of these diverse people and he can make them one new man in Christ Jesus. And so Paul comes along and says, church, look at what you've been called to. Don't let the barriers go back up. God has torn them all down, so don't let there be something between you and another believer. So I just want to read you a few passages and just 
would give you a feeling for how often that this comes up, this exhortation to oneness and unity. Paul often uses this word of the same mind. Um, Let's look first at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. The ESV says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. I like that. I like that phrase. I like how that's translated, this idea of harmony. You remember the context at Rome. Paul's going to go on. We're in chapter 12 and 14 and 15. He's going to start addressing these issues where people had, these Christians, Christians had varying opinions about non-essential issues. And the amazing thing is, is that Paul, he gives his opinion, but he doesn't spend a ton of time correcting the opinions. He does spend a ton of time correcting this thing of letting something, a lesser thing, become a barrier in the relationship. And it becomes very important to him. And so he uses this thing and he gives this exhortation of saying, have the same mind. Have harmony between you and other believers. He talks about this a little bit more um, two verses later. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He says, if possible... So far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. Be at peace with all men. What does that mean? Well, I think the key to understanding that is that with this exhortation that he's given of be of the same mind. Here's what William Hendrickson says that that phrase means. He says, Paul is not pleading for uniformity of opinion, but rather a loving disposition that strives for harmony and peace. That's what this exhortation is about. And like I said, you'll hear it come up over and over and over in Paul. Be of the same mind. That's what he's talking about. Have a loving disposition that strives for harmony and peace. And I like this word disposition. It means a tendency to act or think in a particular way. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying when he says have the same mind... He says, I want your reflex when you think about another Christian to be harmony. Let your reflex be harmony. It's a different type of mindset. And so then he goes on in 18 and he says, if it's possible, so far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. What is he saying? He's saying, let your reflex be harmony. Don't be the type of person that's hard to get along with. If there's going to be a barrier that goes up over a non-essential, make it be because someone else puts it up. If it is possible, be at peace. Be a peacemaker. Look for ways to keep these barriers down. That's what he's saying. He goes on to kind of summarize this over in 15.5. We'll read this. He says, Now may the God of peace... No, no, he says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind. The ESV says, grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one voice, so that with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God grant you to be of the same mind. May God grant you to let your reflex be harmony, this loving disposition so that in one accord, with one voice, you can glorify 
the Father. Let's look at this again over in Philippians. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1. He talks about this extensively in Philippians. And we know there was at least some problems over in um, chapter 4-2. He says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syndicate to live in harmony in the Lord. There's our thought there again. But Philippians 1.27 kind of gives a feel for the context, especially of the first few chapters. And here's what he says, Philippians 1.27. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Okay, so that's a direct link back to Ephesians 4. Same type of context. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He says here in 127, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the, for the sake of the gospel. What is he saying? He's saying, I am urging you to walk worthy of of the gospel by being serious about protecting your oneness. Don't let there be something between you and another, and another believer. He expounds this more in Philippians chapter 2, and I know we're going through a lot of verses, but I'm trying to get you, give you a feel for the emphasis here. In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he picks this up again. He says this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. Then he goes on, by saying, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. And then in verse 5, he's going to say, have this attitude, which is the same idea as mind. Have this mind in yourselves. So what is he saying? He's saying, let your reflex be harmony. If it's possible, humble yourself to keep the barriers down, because verse 5 and following, that's exactly what Christ did. Humble yourself just like Jesus. Take the low position and as far as it depends on you, fight fiercely to keep barriers out of all of your relationships. I love this. Maintain the same love. It's something that you have to work on. Just because Christ has secured it, we do have the power of the Holy Spirit, but it does take work to maintain the same love, especially year after year, after offense, after misunderstanding, after miscommunication. And after all of that, you're still maintaining the same love. He's saying, do it. Take the humble position. There is much more at stake here than your own personal rights. There's something that's on display here that is so glorious that God is going to use it, Ephesians chapter 3.10, to show the rulers and authorities of all of heaven and earth how glorious God is. And that's your unity. Your unity. Let's look at one more. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians. 
1 Corinthians. Again, we're just trying to get a feel for how much this idea of unity and oneness, especially as it ties back into relationships and keeping barriers down, how often this comes up and what a big emphasis this is in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son. And this is the same idea. You were called into fellowship with the one Christ. And when you're one with Christ, you're also one with each other. Through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. What's he talking about? He's talking about barriers. But that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. What is the exhortation here? It's the same exhortation that we've been looking at all through the New Testament. It's this idea of let your reflex be unity. And when you're dealing with non-essential things, when you're dealing with less, lesser things, take the low position. If at all possible, you can keep a barrier from going up. You know, it's amazing that Paul never really deals with the parties. He never deals with the content of whoever was saying, I am of Paul. He never deals with the content of whatever Apollos was in this context or Cephas. The only word he takes issue with in this passage is the word I. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. And there is nothing that lets barriers go up in the Christian life more than the self-life. The self-life. And that's exactly Paul's point back in Philippians chapter 2. And it's important to know what he's saying here. Paul is not downplaying doctrine. What these people are, the, the, the Corinthians had become argumentative. There was a critical spirit among them. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you read on through there, you see that actually doctrine is the big central, one of the, the big things in unity. If you don't have unity of the faith, content, doctrine, if, if you're not agreeing on the faith, you can't have unity with that person no matter how nice they are. It's just not possible. But that's not what Paul's dealing with here in 1 Corinthians. That's not what these people were doing. There's not a big denial of the gospel happening and we're standing for truth. There's just this subtle, argumentative, critical type spirit. And when that happens, barriers start to go up. And what does Paul say? He says, I want you to be of the same mind and of the same judgment. Let your reflex be unity. You don't have to turn here. I'll just read you two more. 2 Corinthians 13.11 Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded. Same word, of the same mind, of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Peter 3.8 To sum up, all of you be harmonious. The King James translates that of one mind, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. So let me ask you the question, are you being diligent 
to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I could ask that a different way. Does your relationships, especially with other believers, does every relationship you have reflect what God has done in Christ through the gospel? Or are there barriers, are there relationship barriers that are there? Well, may the Lord help us. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, Lord, that even in just the reading of the verses, Lord, we would feel how important this thing is of keeping every relationship warm, Lord, of letting no barriers come between Christians, Lord, of being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. God, would you help us? Would you help us to be a humble people that don't need our rights defended? Would you help me to be a humble person? that doesn't need to defend my rights, Lord. Would you help us, Lord? I pray every relationship here, as Mac preached to us long ago, every relationship would be warm and every relationship would be right. God, thank you for the grace you have given us. God, I thank you so much for the love here that is evident at Lake Road. Um, Lord, we, we bless you for that. And so what we're asking for is that, Lord, you might increase it. Lord, would you increase our sense of unity through the power of the Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.